1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or the head, again to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let's pray just once again. Father God, we come to this passage, which is a challenging passage for our own hearts. Help us, first and foremost, to look at how we might apply it to our own lives. Help us, Lord, prevent us from thinking about others and how they should hear it before we first think about how we can apply it to our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a story about a French woman named... Jeanne Calment, in 1965, she was 90 years old at the time, and uh, she made a agreement, an agreement with a lawyer who is, was um, named Mr., oh, I wrote it down, Refray, Mr. Refray, and uh, he, uh, they did what was called a life annuity which kind of works like a reverse mortgage, but it's between two individuals. And you sign a contract and you agree that if you have a, an apartment that you own or a house or a duplex or something like that and you're older and you make an agreement with a younger person, they pay you a monthly amount and when you die, your property goes to them. And it's a lifelong agreement. So it could be very lucrative. It could be not so lucrative. And in this case, um, <laughs> um, the hundred or the the it the sorry I almost ruined the whole thing there. Woo. Okay, Jen was ninety years old, and uh, the lawyer was forty five years old, half her age, and um, it turned out not to be such a good deal for him because she lived to be one hundred and twenty two years old. One hundred and twenty two years and one hundred and sixty four days. She is the longest living person that it can be documented through birth certificates and school records and things like that. Um, 
So uh, he unfortunately only lived to be 75 years old, which means he actually died two years before she died. But according to the agreement, his family continued to pay her for those extra two years. And if you added up all the money that he and his family paid for those 32 years, uh, they could have bought three apartments for the price that hers was worth at the time of their agreement. Um, and on her 121st birthday, they asked her about the deal with Mr. Refray, and she said, in life, one sometimes makes bad deals. And so um, when I, I thought about that as I was looking at this passage because his deal was bad because of the way he estimated things. He overestimated his longevity and he underestimated her longevity. And so when we look at this passage this morning, I think there's a lot here about underestimation and overestimation. And the dangers that we're talking about here are more serious than just a property deal because this has to do with our involvement in the church and how we look at other people and how we esteem them and do we overestimate them or underestimate them or overestimate ourselves or underestimate ourselves. It's a warning for us today not to try not to fall into the same trap that many of the Corinthians did. And we know that this letter to, Cor to the Corinthians was something that uh, it, we continually come with example after example about how they failed as a church in a lot of times dealing with unity. And uh, the, the, the themes of unity and diversity thread their way through really many of the passages we've been looking through, especially the past few weeks. Um, the church in Corinth, their idea of unity was diametrically opposed to really God's idea of unity. The same could be said about their view of diversity. They were divided when they should have been united. From the very opening chapters, they wanted to be united under one leader like Paul or Apollos or Peter, and they had certain heroes there. On the other hand, they were united when they should have been divided. In chapter 5, they were unified in accepting those who were amongst them who had grievous sin and um, sin that was uh, involved great immorality. Chapters 12 through 14 is a section that shows us really that um, not everyone in the church should be the same. And there are those who look at people in the church and um, they, they, they all, in, in Corinth especially, they were all longing after sort of this certain gift or this certain look. Uh, speaking in tongues was one of the most prized gifts that they had. In reality, they should have focused on more of a diversity of gifts and working on loving one another. And so as we come to this passage and we look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 26, we're going to see three dangers that really will hinder the proper functioning of the body of Christ. Three dangers that if we avoid them, it should help us to walk together in greater unity. And the first danger is the danger of underestimating the importance of certain gifts. The danger of underestimating the importance of certain gifts. Take a look at verses um, 14 through 20, but I'm just gonna go ahead and read 14 through 16. It says, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. 
So the problem is, is that some people obviously felt left out. They didn't think that their spiritual gift was important or as important as other people who were in the same body. And so they wanted to be gifted in the same way that others were gifted. And so they were uh, guilty of not only discontentment with what they had, but also envy. And they were saying, well, I want to pursue a different gift. I'm not happy with the gift that I have. And so they were envious or jealous. What, what would be the difference between envy and jealousy? Is there a distinction or are they synonymous? Yes. Yeah, that's one way that people have described it over the years, that uh, jealousy is something usually you're concerned about losing, um, and it's often involves emotional rivalry, it's possessive, it's protective, usually involves unpleasant or um, yeah, unpleasant suspicion. Um, it's fearful of losing attention. We use it almost exclusively negatively, although the word itself doesn't have to be used negatively. Um, but um, we, 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 we look at this, whereas envy is always something that is a sin because it is the painful and resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else, and you desire that. So uh, Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. So this, they're both related to covetousness usually, but envy always is. It's this desire for something that somebody, somebody else has um, and a discontentment with what you have. We look at verses 15 and 16 of 1 Corinthians 12, and we see it because all the feet wanted to be hands. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. And all the ears wanted to be eyes. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. And we can imagine why that would be. Feet themselves are usually very stinky and smelly and dirty, sand between the toes and, um, you know, toenails are cracked and dirty, not to mention any potential African fungus you might have picked up years ago that still portrays itself. I mean, feet are something we... we, uh, not to mention that. It's something that you that we want to cover, cover over. Uh, you so a hand, I mean, hands are beautiful, and you know, they're they're always pointing places, and oh, you have such beautiful hands, right? It's true that the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, but really it's not literal. It's not talking about dirty, stinky feet. It's saying that the arrival of the good news needs to come. Some from somewhere, and so the feet that bring it is, are, are beautiful to them, even though feet are not really known for their beauty. Same thing with ears. I mean, people say, oh, you have such beautiful eyes. I just love their color. But they don't usually say, wow, the tone of the wax in your ears is just, just fantastic. And the way that the hair grows out of the top of them, I, I don't wax them. Don't wax them at all. Just leave it that way. I, I think it's... Uh, you've already got enough wax in your ears. It just just don't don't do anything. It's beautiful. I, I think he chose great illustrations there. Um, and he responds in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 12. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? 
But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? And the expected response to his rhetorical questions here, it would be that the body would be in trouble. Just like you see that God has designed unity, he's also designed diversity in the right ways, working together. He designed the church that it should be filled with members. He says, verse 18, each one of them, that is, each one of them has been gifted. Each one of them, every member of the body of Christ has been gifted by the Holy Spirit for in some way, with some spiritual gifting, so that they might serve in the body. Verse 18 again, in the body, just as he pleased. And this is why I think envy and discontentment are such despicable sins in the scripture. I think this is why they rot your bones. This is why envy is called the green sickness. It's why someone said envy is the most corroding of the vices. It's a bacteria that eats away and causes other sins to manifest themselves. It's offensive to God because essentially when you're envious of what something, somebody else has, you're saying to God, you've done it wrong. You should have gifted me differently. I, I think you should have given me this. I desire this, not that that you've given me. And notice the focus here is that... Um, Verse 18, towards the end, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. The focus is not on our desire and what we want. It's what pleases God. We often give gifts, hoping that the person we give them to will be pleased. And sometimes people who give gifts say, well, actually, the joy was all mine. And, 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 but in Scripture, when God gives gifts through his Spirit, and places people in the body, he places them according to what pleases him. It's for his glory. It's for his design. And going back and look, thinking about the context of the early church where you had you know, the racial division between Jews and Gentiles, you had all kinds of political issues going on, you had uh, religious issues with people who were former idolaters now fellowshipping with the one and only true Yahweh, and we have you know, the, some of the greatest divisions you can possibly imagine, and now they're in harmony, loving one another. It's to God's glory so that people look at the church and they say, how can it be that those people love each other so much when everywhere else... They're at war with one another. And one of the places we can look to today to see an example of this is in Israel. Because the church in Israel is one place where Palestinians and Israelis have sweet fellowship. It's one of the only places in that region. A number of years ago, I was there and we visited a Bible college. And that was one of the things the students said, is that in this place, amongst these walls, our fellowship is so sweet and that is so foreign to the rest of the nation. So God's sovereign pleasure is the focus here. He even uses a strong word for will in verse 18 that's different from the word used back in verse 11. In verse 11, Paul was referring to spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit distributes to each one individually as he wills. And here the idea is that God has appointed not just leaders in the body, but I want you to notice the words each one. 
Each one of them, verse 18, each one of them God has appointed. And then he says in verse 19, Paul says, if they were all one member, where would the body be? So, I mean, he's, he's, he's being, he's asking this question, but it's kind of a ridiculous question. I mean, you, the picture would be a giant eyeball rolling down the street or a hand just crawling around. If everybody wanted to be a hand or if everybody wanted to be an eye, where would we be? And we would be dead. Because if we were all just a hand, not connected to anything else, or an eyeball, then, then the church would be dead. And there's an emphasis here and an underlying truth here that the church is not just some organization. It is actually a living being. And he says in verse 20, but now there are many members but one body. So it's dangerous to underestimate the importance of certain gifts. That's the first danger that we've seen in this passage. A second danger that will hinder the proper functioning of a unified body is the danger of overestimating the importance of certain members. We can overestimate the importance of certain members in the body. We see that in verses 21 through the beginning of verse 24. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 21. It says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So we've just seen a problem where people underestimate their own gifts, but compound that with other people in the church who overestimate their own position and the work that they do, and you have a great recipe for disaster. You have both of these attitudes in the church. You have one group saying, I can't really serve because I'm just not gifted like other people. And you have another group saying, well, we're the gifted ones. Let us take over this ministry. And the people in the first group say, well, it doesn't seem like they really need me. And the people in the second group are saying, we have no need of you. You end up with a limping congregation with part of the body that is just dead weight and not functioning. The other part trying to carry it all on its own. And to that latter group, trying to carry it all on its own, Paul writes in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer. And I want to point out that he uses this phrase here, much truer. Why does he say it's much truer? It's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. He's saying, hey, rather than thinking they're less necessary, they're more necessary. They're more vital in many ways because you're just discounting them. Have you ever walked away from a church meeting or you've seen somebody leave the church and you say, well, that was blessed subtraction. You know, they were, man, I'm, I'm glad they're gone. Um, let, me, let me ask you a question. I'm going to throw this question out here. We'll have a little discussion. This may side rail the entire message, but I, I, I think it's a, a valid question to ask in our society today. Suppose you have somebody who commits one of the worst sins you can imagine, and he has now uh, gone to prison for a sexual offense with a minor and comes out of prison and is now a registered sex offender. And let's say that this individual 
just it's a hypothetical scenario. So let's just say that in prison, he genuinely got converted and is a new creation. He gets out of prison and he wants to attend church here. Though he has this dilemma because he's not supposed to be around children. And there are different levels. I understand there are different tiers and seriousness. So, but but I'm, just, I'm just asking, how should we respond to such a person? Receive him. Okay. Does anybody see any problem with that? I like that attitude. Hey, welcome. Right? Yes. So there, there may be some certain restrictions that he has that would really prohibit him from being involved here or on campus here. But in many states, it is not illegal. In fact, the courts deemed that it was a violation of his freedom of worship to say he couldn't attend church. Yet he may be required to notify the church that he is coming on campus. How should a church respond? Yes. So you're saying, uh, accept him, but be cautious. And uh, I, I think that, I think that uh, generally we would see that principle. You used Paul as an example. Paul came, was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. He went to Damascus for that, ex, that express purpose. Uh, he was confronted on the road to Damascus. He was saved on the road to Damascus. He spent three years learning the faith after his conversion. And then he came down to Jerusalem, and guess who didn't want to meet with him? The apostles, after three years. Because they were afraid that he was just, it was all a charade, a three-year plan to get the, the actual leaders of the church. Presumably that's why they didn't want to meet with him. And yet, and yet Barnabas believed and stood up for him and arranged a certain meeting and in time, Paul proved himself to be quite faithful, would be an understatement. And I think, uh, I think just to kind of wrap up this discussion, because I really don't want to get too derailed on this, but I think the church should have some sort of plan for individuals, uh, and I think every case should be examined on an individual uh, basis. And I think that um, the idea of somehow uh, allowing to show themselves faithful or over a period of time, and whether that means that you have a certain ministry in the church that, that chaperones them, 
and sort of a Barnabas ministry that it's going to be there with them to help help uh, kind of be with them whenever they're on campus for a limited amount of times in limited areas maybe and so forth. And there may be some where you, you say, hey, you, you, you need to spend some years away proving yourself and somehow, but what are the provisions for the church? What about the body? This is a, such a difficult thing. And so I'm, I'm not going to try and give one uh, answer, but I will say this, that we need to guard our hearts from being judgmental. We need to guard our hearts from looking at someone else's sin as though it's worse than our own. And though certain sins have certain consequences that are greater than other consequences for other sins, the heart and the spirit behind the body of Christ is that God places people in the body for a reason. Uh, and he places them, believers in the body, with gifts, and we shouldn't uh, underestimate their gifts and we shouldn't overestimate our own position in the body. At the same time, we realize that wolves creep into the body, that there are tares along with the wheat, and that we need to protect those, especially the most vulnerable who are in the body. So I in no way want to communicate to you that we shouldn't have a priority for protection of those who are vulnerable, young, little ones in the faith. Is that clear? We're going to move on, but just any questions about that, what I've said? We can come back to it at the end, if we, if we, and we should have time. Uh, if you if you still want to, I I just want to look at that because when we go back and read what we've just verses 21 22, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And we have this these words. They're quite it's quite interesting. In verse 22 and 23, we have three words describing people who are often excluded from the body. And the words there, let me highlight them for you, are weaker in verse 22, so weaker members. And then we have less honorable members in verse 23. And then we have less presentable members also in verse 23. So let's try to determine what are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? Who are the most vital members of this congregation who would be weaker members of the body? Um, one, one commentator has written, uh, the faithful prayer, prayers and services of a few dedicated saints who hold no office frequently are the most reliable and productive channels of spiritual power in the congregation. And so we think about people who seem to be weaker, um, certain ones that may not be as strong as others. Um, and, um, and, and, and along with the context here, I think there's this idea that they might be uh, somewhat, you know, not have as much strength in appearance or maybe weaker in their faith or more vulnerable or doesn't seem like they have as much to contribute. I'm not sure that we're necessarily supposed to look at three different categories of people, but there is a second description here that may overlap with this first one. Verse 23, the members of the body which we deem less honorable. 
emphasis on the fact that we deem them to be less honorable, but they're not. Now, what parts of the body would be less honorable? If you follow the illustration here, there's some that seem to be more honorable, like the head, like the, well, the, Christ is the head, but the eye, the hand, right? Um, a less honorable, there's a hint also in verse 23, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And so the word bestow there literally means to put around or to place around. And I think if you think about any culture, including our own, and the way people dress, we sometimes say I have less honorable parts of my body, like maybe my belly or my thighs or my ankles or some part that you don't like. You don't want people to see or you don't want to accentuate it. Let's just say that. And so when somebody says, wow, that jacket looks really good on you, that's like your favorite jacket now. It's like 90 degrees outside and you're still wearing it. <laughs> right? Or those pants really make you look slim. Wow. You know? You know that I think there's a scandal going on with the, the measurements inside clothing. Have you noticed that? Like, if you got a tape measure out and really measure it, I think, I, think, I think they've caught on. They say, hey, if we say these are size 32s, but they're really size 38s, you know, so I can still fit into them, and they're 32s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what I'm trying to get at here is that we cover over or we make more of an effort to adorn it, to make it look more honorable. Um, I, was, I was talking to a, a, a fellow uh, Christian who has a, a toe issue as well, and um, <laughs> <laughs> this lady found uh, press-on toenails. Uh, I haven't tried this myself, but uh, they're, 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 they look like they're painted like a French manicure, and she put them on her, her toenails Right, and then, and then she went somewhere with sandals on, and some says, "Oh, you have the most beautiful feet." And she's thinking to herself, "Yeah, if you only knew, you know." In her mind, those were that was a less honorable part of her body that she has put more effort in to adorn. And I think there's an idea here that we have people in the body that typically. Um, people might think, "Well, that's not really who we want to put at the forefront of our church." But we need to make more of an effort in the body to actually adorn them, to actually pay attention to them, to actually find the right place for them to serve where God is glorified the most. We must, it says in verse 23, on these we bestow more abundant honor. So we have weaker parts. The Bible says they're necessary. We have less honorable parts. We must bestow more honor on them. Notice also in verse 23, we have unpresentable parts. Some versions say unseemly parts. Uh, your unpresentable parts are the parts which require more modesty. Uh, it says in verse 23, and our less presentable members must uh, become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable bodies have no need of it. And the question is, no need of what? No need to be covered with modesty because it's already presentable. Um, I think there are certain parts of the body that he's referring to here that would be unseemly or immodest. Uh, 
if they were not covered up. This in no way is trying to say that we should cover up people in the body. But it's saying that, uh, and, and I know that um, in our society today, that immodesty is thought to be attractive. That the more you reveal is thought to be attractive. And yet, from a Christian perspective, we realize that true beauty is displayed more when modesty is increased. And so I think that we're trying to, we're talking about a, a, a church body, and there's idea, you know, we don't want to have a warped sense of modesty here or of beauty, but Paul's points here is that since it's customary with our physical bodies to put certain things and cover them, we have members of the body who we might deem as behind-the-scenes people, people who are not up front, people who may not want to be up front, people who, you know, we only think about them when the sound system doesn't work, or, amen, right? <laughs> but you see, there, there are people that we need to make sure that we don't look down upon their service. Um, they are, we need to make a special effort to pay attention to them and if that's true with the physical body, to make sure that we make a special effort there, how much more with the spiritual body? So this is a challenge for wherever you're serving, not to underestimate your own gifts and not to overestimate um, the gifts, gifting or the placement that you have in the body. There's a third and equally important danger that we must consider before closing, and that is the danger of underestimating the importance of mutual concern, mutual concern, which really bleeds through this whole passage. But starting in the middle of verse 24 down through verse 26, uh, I'll start reading there. It says, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body. Um, stop there. There's, there's a word there composed in verse 24, and it's quite descriptive. It's found elsewhere in scripture, uh, in ancient literature, that is, to describe uh, paint and how an artist carefully mixes colors to produce an exact shade for his painting, so composes a certain color. God has composed. God has designed. Um, God has... Um, uh, arranged the human body like an artist and the church body so that parts don't appear to be all in the, uh, that, that, that all parts are important. Um, the weaker members, I think sometimes those weaker members too, if you think of, uh, you know, when we praise somebody for something they do like their uh, their, oh, their voice is so beautiful. I wish I could sing like that. And, and, or, or look at those hands. They can play like there's no tomorrow. Or an athlete, look at, look at the hands and what he does. But we're not thinking about weaker. The word weaker actually is, it can be delicate. Those hidden parts, uh, hearts that are vital for living, you know, heart, like your heart and your lungs and things like that, more fragile parts. I think when we think about people in the body. But God has designed the church body to be a harmonious organism that depends upon all its members. 
the hand cannot play, the voice cannot sing, the hand cannot catch, unless all the parts of the body, some of them weaker but more vital, are actually working together. You can lose a hand and still live. You can't lose a heart and still live. And so, in some respects, he's saying the body is designed in a way that sometimes the weaker members we should deem more important. How can that not be in the church? And this is really an affront and an attack to what creeps into the church from the world, which is sort of a lone ranger attitude. This idea that I'm an independent Christian, that I can come and go as I want, and that I don't really need to minister to others, and I don't really need to be a part of the body, and I could stay at home or listen to recordings or live stream or whatever, and really actively being a part of the body is not important. So um, when, when we think about that, we look to verse 25 for the emphasis there. Verse 25, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Not only no division, but the same care for one another. In verse 26, and if one, members, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So it should really function as it should. And remember, this whole section here is about the church and unity in the church, but a diversity of gifts. And it's within this section that we, it just, Paul can't help talking about the care that we should have for one another, not only here, but especially in, in chapter 13, where he says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous, and does not brag, and is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take in account, into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And this is a reminder that the body of Christ should have that. God has equipped each one and placed each one according to his pleasure so that this amazing thought that when his body is gathered, it has what it needs to bring glory to his name. So I'm going to wrap it up just by summarizing. Don't underestimate certain gifts. Don't overestimate certain members. And don't underestimate mutual care, which is, which is vital for the body. But we have some time here at the end for any questions. Yes. So the question is, where is Grace Community Church uh, neglecting its responsibility here the most? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, that many churches, including Grace Church, are still recovering from how to respond from this COVID situation, which was so divisive in the church. And um, so that's one area we can look at. I think that... Um, during this time, you know, uh, different people saw things different ways, and I think people were vocal on both sides. And there were both sides that, that we need to look at our own hearts and did we overspeak, were we judgmental, these sort of things. Uh, I, I really think that 
This is a situation where individually we need to look at our own hearts. And this is something we should walk away with and pray individually. Lord, where am I failing? Where am I failing as, as, a, as a member of the body? Is it that I'm not serving? You know, is it that I am uh, uh, keeping a distance? I'm trying for self-preservation. I'm not really connected with other people. Um, you know, uh, so I think that may be um, where I would try and encourage people along these lines. Yes. Yeah, and again, I'm not sure that, that Paul's trying to make distinctions between weaker, honorable, and less presentable. The weaker would be those maybe vital organs that are very important, but we just don't see them or think about them that much. Um, the less honorable, um, uh, we deem them less honorable, but the word bestow in verse 23 means to cover over. So I think those would be areas, uh, 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 people that... Um, we look and we say, well, they're not as important in the body, um, but actually we should do more to adorn them and show the beauty of their service in the body. And it's very similar, I think, less presentable. Um, less presentable members uh, are more presentable when they're covered. Um, and, and so I think that there's an idea that uh, people who are behind the scenes in the body that we just don't think about, but they are serving, um, we should also pay special care and attention to them. Yeah, I hope that's helpful. Again, I'm trying to make a distinction based on the words around it, but it's not explicit that we're talking about, you know, I, I, I don't want you to walk out of here and say, well, which one are you? Are you weaker, honorable, or dishonorable, or presentable, or less than presentable, or stronger? We have six categories here. Um, you know, other questions? Yes. So the question is, uh, if someone is uh, needing more modesty or something like that, maybe their gifting isn't one that is as presentable before the body. And so you may have to shepherd people if someone says, well, I have the gift of teaching uh, and they really don't. Uh, that's something that you might have to encourage them on, confront them. And teaching is a difficult one because um, teaching, uh, again, we're not just talking about uh, natural gifting. We're talking about a spiritual gift. And yet you would expect some natural gifting that would accompany a spiritual gift. But these gifts can only be accomplished by believers, not by unbelievers. So we're not talking about a natural teaching ability, which many unbelievers have. We're talking about a work that God does in the body to build up others. And teaching also may, may you might have the gift of teaching or be able to teach, but it's not necessarily be preaching from the pulpit. Um, Every father is responsible to be a teacher of his children and to teach them what is right and wrong and to lead his family in that way. So you should have that gift of teaching within your family as a father to be able to teach the Bible to your children. Um, others as well should be teaching the Bible to their children. So I think that um, 
we're looking at different areas, but certainly there is somewhat of a, um, a shepherding that needs to take place. And as someone who, who grades sermons for a living, it's, it's not easy because the reality is that um, for, for many people, for most preachers, it really takes about 100 sermons before they're, before they're at full capacity of where they, they could be putting all the pieces together. And so we often say that, that, hey, you need to work at this. You're not there yet. But then it becomes really difficult because usually you don't preach 100 sermons until you're already in the pastorate. And then what do you do? And uh, I've, I've also had to deal with that. And I have dealt with that. In, in, in Africa, it's common. And shepherding is co- common in, in, in Africa. I've, I said to people in the church, I talked to young people in the classroom, in the college classroom, I said, if, if you have a young shepherd boy and he loves the sheep and pets them and hugs them, but he never feeds them, would you keep him? And they're like, no, we would get rid of that boy like that, right? Okay, so if you have a pastor who's kind and loves you and drinks tea and everything like that, but he never preaches well, would you keep him? Oh, well, that's more difficult. And so it's a universal problem. Yes, a couple last questions. Yeah, yeah. So I, I believe there God composed the body. God, God, in his absolute sovereignty and divine perfection, placed, put together the body, orchestrated the body so that everyone who is there, who is, is gifted, is there for a reason and for an honorable reason to bring honor and glory to the name of Christ for the work in the church. And so if God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the members which lacked, in other words, we, 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 I think we're talking about the ones we deem to be less honorable here, but God says, hey, these are even more important. They're the, the weaker ones, uh, you, know, uh, you know, again, trying to make specific, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna in any way try to say, you know, are you a spleen? Are you an appendix? Are you, you know, uh, uh, by the way, you know, you might think you're an appendix and we say that the appendix is, is not needed for the body. Um, but uh, <laughs> I believe there is a need for, I believe there's a reason for the appendix. I don't know what that is. And I don't think medicine knows what that is. But listen, there, it wasn't so long ago they didn't know what the thyroid did. So, I mean, we, we might think, hey, there's no, I mean, God's perfect in his design, right? So, I don't know, there's a doctor here, he's taken out a, bun, a bunch of appendices, but <clears throat> appendices? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to be too specific. I don't think the text, the text is talking about a variety of gifts, some which we deem uh, less honorable, but God has placed and designed and composed with abundant honor I think in it all working together. So that's how I understand it and understood it. Um, But if you look at verse 25, it's the purpose clause that we should be looking at so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. And those are the purposes. That's what we should be getting towards. 
So if there's one thing we'll close on here, and we'll, we'll come out a little bit early today, just let you fellowship here before the next group comes in. This idea that we really should be caring for one another and making a, um, an extra effort, especially for those who uh, sometimes don't seem to be thought of as very important in the body. So um, valuing one another, encouraging one another. God has placed each one of us in the body for a reason, and we should glory in that, glory in his design will and his placing of that and encourage one another, care for one another. And uh, I think that this church, Grace Church, does a great job of caring for its pastors and for uh, showing appreciation to those who are teaching and leading and, and all this. But I think that every church needs to grow in the area of caring for everyone in the body. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for this passage. Again, challenging and... Uh, we, we see uh, your hand in your design for the church, and this is not just a random gathering of people. This is a, a group of a body here that you have placed here, and you've, you have composed this body, giving it everything it needs, and may this body not neglect our responsibility to care for one another, to, that we, especially when one member is suffering, that we would suffer with that member. One member is honored that we would rejoice with that member for your name's sake, that we would be, that, that those outside of the church would see a difference here because of the way you've built the church and the way we responded to your perfect action. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.